This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, Chris Biscardi and I talk about using the platform. What happened in the browser? Well, we were webpacking all the things in JS. We talk about the future of JavaScript meta frameworks, Egghead's brand as a service model, a return to Rails, serverless provider lock-in, and the importance of content creation in the face of an economic downturn. I actually have a favor to ask you. If you have one of those fancy podcast apps that allows you to capture and share little 30, 60 second clips, could you do that and at React Podcast? Those little snippets help us extend the conversation onto different social networks like Twitter, where everyone else can have a lot of fun in the conversation, not just Chris and I. Thanks in advance for your participation. I want to tell you about Infinite Red. If you're building a React or React native app and you're feeling stuck, check out Infinite Red. They're pro unstuckers for React and React native projects. They've helped hundreds of companies like yours build beautiful, functional web and mobile apps, and they teach you as they build. In fact, they're terrific teachers. They've taught tens of thousands of developers through open source and their annual React native conference, Chain React. React podcast listeners get two free tickets to Chain React 2021 for referring or starting a new project. Visit reactpodcast.infinite.red to start and build a beautiful, functional app today. Chris Biscardi, welcome back to React Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. So we were having this chat on Twitter. Uh, you were there, you know, and I was, uh, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, we should just we should get together. We should turn our mics on, record something that you know actually like everyone can listen to. Uh, so this is kind of like new, new for React podcast. Usually, it's like kind of like more like interview than than just kind of talking about the industry and whatnot. But you know, you you have a pulse on all these things, and I wanted to get, I wanted to kind of globalize this conversation. So thanks for joining me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, always great to talk to you. So appreciate it. So in the time since we last hung out, uh, one of the most popular topics was. Uh, your content pipeline. People were really interested in that and kind of how you optimize for like continuing. And I just wanted to kind of get an update on that, how it might have evolved, how things are different now, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So um, I have continued. Uh, <laughs> Good. <laughs> just to put a point on that. Um, yeah. So I, I kept writing and kept writing and kept making screencasts and stuff like that. And um, I think I'm, I'm over 100 blog posts now. I'm over 100 egghead videos at this point. Awesome. Um, I've done a couple of different other experiments and stuff like that. I started making like these 60 second Twitter videos that are kind of interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I got I have sort of my base in blog posts and egghead screencasts. And then I sort of expand into like other random stuff as I feel interested um, and see how it works. So I kept doing all that stuff. I kept sort of like removing little frictions and doing them manually from my process until I hit a point where I was like, um, well, there's no tool that now has all of these little frictions removed that I have now identified in my process. <laughs> uh, so I did that thing and I built a tool that I could write in uh, that is MDX first and uh, like sets up for a digital garden and things like that. So I oh, built awesome. that tool uh, starting in like January. So like January 1st, basically. Wild, wild. So, I, so, so that's interesting because the last time we talked, you were like building or like had just finished building Gatsby themes. Mm -hmm. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious, like the shape of like, like, I guess, 
I hate to use the word deficiency or whatever, but like <laughs> kind of like what was lacking in your work there that kind of moved over into this new this new project? Well, so I ended my contract with Gatsby, right? So that's how contracts work. They eventually end. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the thing I built, I'll give a name to it. It's set, called Sector right now, like a sector cool. of a circle. But Gatsby Themes is like the the UI side of things, right? It's like the you can put in data sources and UI components and whatnot and just chop them up and throw them around and things like that. Um, it's the, the WordPress themes competitor. But there's still the other side of WordPress that is the content authoring and uh, managing and editing and tagging and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and nobody does this for MDX. Huh. And MDX is how I write all of my content. <laughs> uh, so I took basically everything that I really cared about of the frictions that I removed over the the year of writing and whatnot. And I basically just started building a tool. And I knew that it wouldn't be great to start, right? The first editor was actually an input and not a, even not even a text area. So I had one line. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Real simple, starting real basic. <laughs> um, now it's like a slate editor and it has like a bunch <laughs> okay. of fancy things on it but like <laughs> at one point it was literally an input um and yeah so it, it ships mdx it talks uh, so we'll talk about serverless and stuff later and it, it basically is built entirely on serverless oh killer started on netlify functions moved to aws lambda uh does dynamo db now streams stuff like that so we can talk about that at some point but um yeah so it's been really dope uh i really like it i have like one or two other people using it right now um, or like a small, basically like a super alpha group of users that don't mind if things sure. like sort of break. The data integrity is there. So I can't force anybody to lose anything, <laughs> which is the most important part. Uh, and it works. So yeah, I'm super excited about that. I think that the editor that I built for Sector will eventually make it into the MDX core like open source repo. Oh, killer. So that'll be pretty exciting when that happens. Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's the intent. So wow. between awesome. me and John, we've been thinking about sort of like the problem of MDX and editors for a while now. Uh, and we're eventually going to have something that is an editor, either a WYSIWYG or like an IA writer kind of thing in the MDX repo. So that's we'll awesome. See. You know, I have to say the more I use, like, I, I feel like I have like a notion of what MDX was. And I, I and I think it was born from like all of the other like processors I've used for Markdown in the past and like other languages. Yeah. But the more I dive into MDX, like the more I realize that just how insanely powerful it is and how much you can use it for. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. So like, I don't know. I found MDX, I think like two years ago at this point, maybe. Uh, and I started building Gatsby plugin MDX. And that was just like, so I turned that into basically the most advanced Gatsby or the most advanced MDX plugin for any, yeah, anywhere, right? So if you want to use MDX and the like, it's as MDX, like that's the place to do it, um, which is super exciting, cool. Um, I gave that off to Gatsby, so I no longer maintain it, uh, which means that now I get to free up my mind to work on like, <laughs> what would I do if I was building this stuff from scratch with everything that I know now? Yeah, just brushing it out of your mind. Some spring, some spring cleaning. So I did that too. <laughs> nice. Now, <laughs> real, real quick, real quick, before we go into that, like I have to, like I, I would be remiss. I, I'm, I'm staring at your, uh, your, your party corgi tank right now, and I'd yes. be ris- remiss to not <laughs> mention that that these are available. Tell me, tell me about how that came to be. Like, the, 
Egghead now has these in their store, right? Yeah. So basically, Joel is an awesome human being. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, so do you want to sell these? And I was like, yeah. I was actually trying to set up a store like at the time that he asked me. And I was like, well, uh, like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and like Egghead, uh, I forget exactly the wording they use to describe sort of like what they do at this point. But it's like... Uh, I think Joel refers to himself as a VA sometimes effectively, like a, a really okay. well-connected, really well-done kind of VA kind of thing uh, for production specifically. And he just like... what's he, a, and Sorry, what's a VA? Like I, a virtual assistant. Oh, okay. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Like just like somebody who has the connections, can put them all together, knows what yes. to do. Uh, yeah. And like I'm sitting there going like uh, people in my Discord are asking me for like a party corgi tank top. I don't know how to source material. I don't know how to do, <laughs> like if I'm just going to choose a service and like hope that the tank tops are like of a decent quality. Uh, yeah. And Joel's sitting here over like, I already know how to do all of that. Uh, would you like me to just send an email? Because <laughs> that's what it is for him now. Whereas for me, it's like days worth of research. And like, yes, what, the, yeah, what yeah. the fuck do I do here? Um, so that's how that came about. Uh, basically, Joel is an Joel awesome human is- being. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's kind of like brand as a service now, right? Like, yeah, which is which is awesome. I freaking love that. And it took me so long to realize like what I think from the outside, it's hard to realize like what Egghead like does yeah. and like what Joel does and like his vision and like how it's kind of more than videos. It's about like humans and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. the, the closer I've gotten to it, the more I'm like, oh, man, this is freaking awesome. Like all the crap <laughs> that like you have to do but like don't have any context for how you would do it and you're going to stress out about and like in all your like in your very limited free time yep like just squander away like that's what egghead does like they yeah. just do all of that exactly. for you yeah it's like um like you you could uh be west boss and build your own like video platform or whatnot yeah <laughs> uh or you could have let egghead do it uh, yeah, and then Egghead doesn't just do like a video platform; they do like a whole bunch of other stuff that you don't realize they do. Yeah, until you're in, and once you're in, you see it, and you're like, "Oh wow!" Like, oh, ah, oh. Shit. <laughs> yeah, and the benefit of like a I don't know hundred plus thousand dollars. I, I mean, hundred plus thousand <laughs> subscriber list dollar. That's probably how much it costs to like actually send an email. <laughs> yeah i mean like everyone at egghead is just so awesome and so nice and yeah. so like insanely creative and productive and like like have you seen maggie's illustrations oh yeah we actually just <laughs> I, we just released an episode today talking about uh just her process and like what she does and kind of how deeply she thinks about everything and it's like yeah I mean, you think like, oh, yeah, like, I'll just get an iPad Pro and like maybe draw some things for, for, no, it's like, not, you're not even, it's like I'm not even the same sport. And then I'll <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> draw my stick figure. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, I think that the primary reason that I want to create egghead courses is so I get a sticker <laughs> yeah. that's made by Maggie. That is like, <laughs> like of all of the things that that does for me, like yeah. the sticker yeah. is like my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i like i seriously like I, on the like dark nights when i was like really pushing through like the difficult episodes like yeah. you know how that goes like yeah, there's some yeah, episodes yeah. That are just just so <laughs> hard to get through and it's like you do it and then you like edit it and you watch it and you're like that's shit and then you have to like do it again <laughs> like like during those dark times i was just thinking like at the end of this i get a maggie appleton original and like <laughs> 
that's that's what I'm after right now. <laughs> I mean, that's what I have. A, I have even uh, Eve's GraphQL yes. illustration on the wall behind me. That's that's like I would buy a thousand more Maggie posters. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and a heartbeat. Keep putting them out. We'll buy them. So this kind of overlaps with the project that you're working on, kind of like uh, post uh, themes. And um, just kind of like what's going on in the industry. I feel like we've been so focused on just getting JavaScript to work, like as a community, mm-hmm. that I think a lot of us haven't like actually stuck our heads up and like to see like what's available, like what has made its way into the platform, like what uh, we don't have to think about or like concern ourselves with on like a low level anymore. And I feel like your um your your new project sector kind of pushes the boundaries of like what you don't have to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about like the inspiration of of that and and the areas in which you are actually like depending more on the platform instead of the tooling that has kind of been the primary focus over the last I don't know five six seven years? Sure. So um so basically, sector is like the content editing side of things and stuff like that. Uh, and then I built a second thing. Uh, called Toast, because why would I not just rebuild literally the entire vertical stack to redo <laughs> my site, uh, which I'm I'm intending to launch today. So that's, yes. that's my public commitment to launching that. But yeah, so basically uh, with Toast, which is like this uh, Jamstack meta framework, uh, I'm currently referring to it as like a compiler okay. um, of websites because it, it doesn't include Webpack or anything anymore, right? It's completely doesn't have a bundler. Uh, relies on the browser for ES6 imports, uh, for dynamic imports, for basically everything, right? Like, if you basically can't use uh, the client side bundle in IE because we depend mm-hmm. on all of the stuff that is Greenfield. Yep. Or not Greenfield. Uh, Evergreen. <laughs> Evergreen. Thank you. <laughs> um, very brownfield browsers, but <laughs> Evergreen. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that's toast, and toast is basically like the idea of um, if we didn't bundle anything and we didn't use Webpack, and we didn't do all of that like complexity, which like there are plenty of other meta frameworks going down that rabbit hole, right? Sure, that is a very well explored design space. Good for them. It's good for the industry, etc. Um, but what if we just didn't have any of that? How small can we make it? Like, what does it turn into if you don't have to have these like? Uh, congestion points where you have to take all of your code and put it through a bundler and then you can render it out in HTML file, right? Hmm. Um, If we just keep everything as ES modules, what we can do is just require everything that you need. You get the dependency graph already (laughs) and then you just render the HTML file. So you get these like actually incremental uh, compiling. Like you can do a single HTML file with just the files and just the data that matters Wild. in a way where you can cache every single step all the way up to the HTML file. Uh, and this is like something that's really hard to do if you're like embedding Webpack and embedding like GraphQL server inference yeah. and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Uh, and I think that we can push that idea even further. So like Jamstack, Jamstack sites sort of had this reputation of not scaling for really large sites, Mm -hmm. like news sites, right? Like there's a lot of content. Most of it doesn't change. Um, Occasionally you do a redesign, right? Sure. Yep. But if you take the ES modules like approach, uh, this gives you the ability to say, render your top thousand pages in CI 
and then defer all the other work into a bunch of lambdas that can just push oh, HTML wow. files to the CDN. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now, like, all of your important stuff is rendered, and you know that. But you get to, like, choose priority-wise what you render and when, which is kind of amazing. So you're kind of, like, <laughs> backgrounding the re-rendering of these pages. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, these ones, like, the last, the, like, the tail after the, the, after the first thousand, like, eh, whatever. Like, we don't care a whole lot about those. Right. So just do them when you can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's like that's if you change like code right that's if you change something that affects the entire site if you just ship one thing because this is an actually an incremental compiler it will just render one html page and like i don't know maybe the post list and stuff like that like if you have a blog or something like that um but you're rendering only what changes which is super interesting that's so wild. So now what are the, I guess, what are the trade-offs? Like what, what do we not have solved yet? Cause obviously IE is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so you're kind of, you're, you're saying like, I don't know, it's like 2% of global traffic, right? So you're, <laughs> you're saying like screw off to like 2% of, of people who need to actually process the JavaScript client side. Yep. Um, and then like, I, I know that there has been some I guess performance concerns with uh, client side modules, um, but does that even affect kind of like a? I mean, is that something that people need to be worried about at every level, or is that more like kind of like high performance type of stuff that that would hit you? Yeah. So basically, if we if we take this approach of unbundled by default, which is like what people are calling ES modules first, right? Uh, then you can focus on bundling as a performance optimization if you're loading too many files. Gotcha. Right? So like you get to scale your site up to the point at which you actually have performance problems in this very simple way and very understandable way. And then when you hit that point, you still have the option of bundling stuff. Interesting. Right? Like you can do whatever you want. They're your files. And yeah, I mean, if you want to include Webpack or Rollup or Parcel or whatever, you can just say, okay, I'm going to make a bundle that is like, this set of ES modules and I'm going to ship that. Like I'm going to ship my component library as an ES module. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just going to export everything. Gotcha. So sorry, I'm, I'm trying to like think about this practically <laughs> in a way that like I can understand. So like, let's say like, so let's say you start and I, I feel like a design system is something that, that I can wrap my head around yep. and you start and you put like your, your, you got like your, your, your avatar, your buttons, your panes, your mm-hmm. everything is like an individual ES module, yep. let's say. One file. Um, but then you're like, <laughs> oh, this, this, like this doesn't make any sense like to be like you know having each of these kind of come in independently mm-hmm. like we just want to version this system yep. you would take all of those components like none of the rest of it just like the stuff that pertains to like the design system mm-hmm. put those in a bundle and now that's kind of like accessed and cached as like a single yep like file yep interesting and because we're using like entirely single files on both sides on the pre-rendering and the client side uh, that just gets like you take advantage of all of the browser's native caching and stuff like that. Yeah. So, like somebody downloads the file, you don't have to use like a service worker to cache the get request for that file. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, I mean, this is super fascinating. And one, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about because it feels like, like, like it feels like we got into a mindset like as as a as a community mm-hmm. right that every problem needs to be solved in javascript and like <laughs> i've kind of come up i've kind of come out against this in like with with css kind of for the same reason like there's so many cool things like if you're just like hey we we don't support that two percent now or like if we do we're just going to build polyfills for that two percent right and mm-hmm. 
and and support it kind of like in the way that you're you're saying with the the modules like just solving that problem in isolation instead of always solving for the minimum case yep um it, it seems like so much has happened in the platform and i know there's this kind of like you know javascript developers hate the like use the platform like <laughs> <laughs> verbiage um but like it feels like yeah like it's actually like it actually happened like it's happening mm-hmm. and we're kind of missing it and we're like doing our communities maybe a disservice by continuing to uh, i guess push too heavily on some of these kind of like well-worn grooves in our like javascript <laughs> brains well i think that um so i think there's a, a spectrum of design space here right and like you have next and you have gatsby and you have all of that kind of stuff way over here they've like they've gone all in on webpack right yeah and as a result you're not going to remove webpack from those systems right sure. not easily anyway mm-hmm. and it's going to be a multi-year effort it's probably not even worth it yeah you just build the next thing <laughs> so you just build layers on top of that yeah yeah and like that's not a bad approach for them that's what they've chosen to do but it does mean that when you want to do things like code split or dynamic imports that you're now using webpack's entire system mm. right you have to use that if you're going to do dynamic imports uh and even then you have to use like third-party polyfill library-ish kind of things, like a loadable component, et cetera, uh, to do the pre-rendering that Gatsby, et cetera, do. Right. Um, whereas if we just rely on what the browser has today, uh, when we can, because you can't always. Uh, like, have you tried to style a progress bar recently? Like I was doing that yesterday. Like that was, but like there's a bunch of stuff that like Dude, is that there. is a, that is a thing for me. Just just real quick. Like like I wish that we'd just stop progress on everything and be like, let me style my friggin' forms. Like just give me like form controls over. Like ah, uh, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. But like, <laughs> but I like I do think that there are there, there's two different ends of the spectrum, and like yeah, we we have this end that is quite complex, right? And it has a bunch of tooling. Yeah. And there's a reason for that because we weren't always in the state that we are today. Yeah, yeah. But I do also think that uh, we just hit a point where there's a lot of stuff that's usable and people are still heads down and they haven't quite realized it yet. Yeah, yeah. And it's, we're at a place where we can build uh, like the meta framework that starts with ES modules as opposed to the meta framework that depends on Webpack, hmm. right? Which basically all of them do at this point. So I think that there's... Um, there's drawbacks in the sense that it's still super early, right? Yeah. Like Snowpack is what you're using if you're shipping ES modules like this at this point and you want to use anything from NPM, right? So we have some uh, legacy baggage in terms of like common JS versus ES modules and stuff like that still that we have to deal with. We'll have to deal with that for a couple of years. Uh, but maybe like three years from now, we don't have to deal with it as much. Yeah. Um, and then maybe we, uh, maybe we have more advanced tooling. Uh, like Snowpack is super nice. And we get to push a bunch of processing to like install time. Uh, just like we were saying with the design system, right? When you install your design system, you can have just Snowpack just build that ES module for you. Like you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I, I was like, and then that doesn't happen at like develop time, right? So you make one change and you don't have to worry about like rebuilding the entire world. You just change the one file that you changed and then you check your browser. It, it, it's fascinating to me that... That <laughs> like on this side of it, it's kind of like a like a opt in for optimization type of thing, right? Like if you just depend on the platform, you can opt into the optimizations uh, that you need, um, or the polyfills or whatever. But when you 
like you said, depend on Webpack from the beginning or a similar tool, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. When you depend on that from the beginning, it's you really can't opt out and kind of yeah. migrate your your app or your site or whatever uh, to using the standards when you have to depend on this like full pipeline like as like the base layer for your your content building yeah and then like there's other things like people require css files right and they require png (laughs) files and those don't exist in the browser like you can't require a png yeah so what do you do with that like i've solved this problem by using Babel to handle that Uh and like kent made Babel plugin preval right which allows you to run like a little script that gets pulled out of the file when you compile it. And then you still get this like single file and you turn the single file into another single file and then use it. Yeah. Which is yeah. super nice. So you don't lose any of the properties that we had before. You just add like a very small like single file compile step. And then you get to require your PNGs or whatnot. So like what we've been kind of accustomed to with Webpack is, is that a lot of that is like masked for us. Mm-hmm. And so in a JavaScript file, we're just like import whatever, like yep. SVG, PNG, CSS, whatever. I don't care, like because it's all like solved for under the hood. Yep. But that is something that you kind of need to figure out uh, in, in in this world. And you said that, yeah. the, what was it, Preval? Uh, yeah, Preval. Babel plugin Preval is a way to allow you to do that. Yeah, Babel plugin Preval is a way to execute some arbitrary code that maybe uses like node FS modules or something like that. And then that code string that you put in uh, is a template string in your source file. And it just gets stripped out and replaced Killer. with whatever it returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you could uh, fs.readfile.slash whatever.svg. And then your SVG is just embedded. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. Now, how does that work with, like, if you wanted to reference um, reference other files that are of different ty- file types? Like, for example, mm-hmm. um, I really like once we dropped IE11 support, actually we were doing it with a polyfill beforehand, but um, (laughs) I love externally referenced um, SVG sprites. Like it's like my favorite way to do, uh, to to, to do sprites because it's like, or images because you get to cache like a whole set of, of images and maybe you have five sets or whatever, but they're all cached. They're basically just one SVG image. And then you use that like use tag to kind of reference them and use them as icons across your across your site. Now, how would you do that in like this world where I need like an actual reference to that file being served? You just do it. You just <laughs> right? do it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> See, it's right? like my like, brain doesn't even compute that it's like I could just use the platform anymore because I'm so Like you just accustomed. stick that SVG sprite in your static or like whatever, right? You, you dump mm-hmm. that into your production assets in some way. However you do that is up to you. Either maybe you sure. have a static folder or something like that. Or maybe you're compiling that sprite file out of a bunch of SVGs or whatnot. Like you're doing something at some point and you have a sprite file somewhere and then you can just use it because it's at the URL. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Just use it. Just use just it. Just use it. <laughs> just use the platform. <laughs> just use. Just use. use. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So <laughs> it kind of like as we talk about this, it just makes me think that I feel like we're at a place now where we're we're getting to like maturity in JavaScript and CSS and you know SVG like all of these things that we've been like pining for as 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 developers to like make it just so that we could just use the platform are there and I'm curious like as we like look up and kind of see what's available to us and like kind of like re replay with like some of these concepts as we build our tooling around the platform like what what are some lessons that like you see from like other communities or tools that we should be thinking like 
things like uh things like rails right mm-hmm. like we've w- w- it's a stable platform right now and they have like gone through a, hard, a lot of hard lessons and like you know every group of people tries to like buck the trend of whatever it was before but there's also lessons that we kind of like kind of turn away from at the same time mm-hmm. and um i mean rails is an example but there's like so many you know kind of uh, communities that like pre-existed like this big trend of JavaScript. Yep. And so I'm kind of curious, like as you look around, like what are some things that um, as people have come into like an age of maturation, like what are some lessons that we should like be thinking about with those, like from those other communities? Yeah, I think as you were saying that, I sort of thought of, of like three different projects that I would think of that have maybe different sorts of lessons, right? Um, and that's uh, Rome, Rust, and Rails, which happens to be three R's. And I was laughing at that silently <laughs> in my head. So it's the uh, so stack. name your project with a with an R <laughs> if you want it to be like really revelatory in you know twenty years. <laughs> then in the we future. can have the four R's. Um, so Rome is a super interesting thing because basically what Sebastian has done is uh, completely vertically replaced a whole suite of very complex JavaScript tooling with a single thing, Hmm. which means that it's far easier to reason about because it's a single system. The system gets more control over the output because it controls, like it doesn't have to pass ASTs between everything and have them all have slightly different representations, et cetera. Uh, So that's a super interesting project to look at in that respect. And like, what does it look like if you go back from scratch and rebuild something? In total. Yeah. And Sebastian, just for like history sake, Sebastian uh, originally wrote Babel yep. and kind of like uh, passed it off to, uh, to to Henry Zhu. But that was kind of like his first pass at like some of these concepts. Yeah. 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 Um, w- w- was Babel. And then this is kind of like a reimagination of like what it looks like to handle basically every th- all the tooling. Like so Babel, Webpack, and maybe linting, some, compiling, yeah, linting. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Basically testing. Yeah, and then there's uh, Rust, and Rust has some really interesting like RFC community process automation kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at how the community operates and how uh, suggestions to changes to the language and things like that happen, uh, it's a really interesting set of processes and set of automations that they have because they have like a bot for everything, right? Um, and then Rails is an interesting thing because there's been a lot of noise lately about bringing back rails. I've been making some of that. You've been making some of that. I think that um, there's two levels to this. There's the people who worked with rails and they want rails, right? They, they're making some of that noise like you. Sure. Saying, I liked rails. There are some things we can learn from rails. We should learn those things and bring them forward. Yep. And then there's a separate part of that where a lot of people are looking at that and going, okay, I'll use rails as a marketing term. <laughs> For my new thing. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean that they are learning from Rails, but they are learning that Rails is a great marketing term. So I think that there's uh, stuff to learn there as well on both sides of that, actually, where one thing is like, um, how do you get people to pay attention to the new interesting work that you're doing? Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that people are saying like, hey, this could be the new Rails. Um, but there's also like lessons to be learned from the people who were in the Rails community. Um, and I have my own opinions about uh, what we should take from Rails. And I think that it's mostly the community aspects of it. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I never worked in a production capacity shipping Rails. So sure, take sure. my opinions on Rails with a grain, huge grain of salt. 
yeah. Well, I like that. I, I like that that separation that you that you made because I think on one side, the the marketing side that like that's very like the the VC way of communicating about a product, right? Yep. It's like the the X of Y, yep. <laughs> like the past thing <laughs> for the the new group. It's tr- It's a very nuanced thing, right? Because I know for me personally, I, I feel the same way as you. There's a subset of things that I find interesting about Rails that we haven't really like recaptured yet. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of like bad things, right? Like I think that the reason that, um, you know, React probably skyrocketed past Ember was because Ember stuck too closely to the concepts in Rails mm-hmm. and wasn't as flexible to like new things as like other applications or like more like JavaScript heavy applications needed. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, it's like, I feel like I've seen so many apps and so many problems from people who uh, have only ever kind of solved the problem directly in front of them Mm -hmm. that would have been solved (laughs) if we had, if we had borrowed some of the structural concepts that were popularized in Rails. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious as to what you think those are. <laughs> um, well, so, yeah. So, I I think that for me, one of the biggest things, like, one of the biggest values that I got from Rails, and, and this is tricky, right? Because, like, uh, modern web applications, like JavaScript-heavy web applications, like, tend to get their data through GraphQL, which mm-hmm. is a much more, like, advanced way of thinking about data than REST. Mm-hmm. However... I thought like one of the core, like w- one of the most beautiful innovations of Rails was this idea of like we took HTTP and we took all of the verbs there and we basically mapped them to like concepts mm-hmm. that were shared between like uh, databases mm-hmm. and like routes and controls. Like basically it was just like, hey, what's HTTP doing? And like, let's connect that in a logical way all the way through to the database. Mm-hmm. And I like I love that like I like I still use those that language to communicate like the like what a page does right like is yep. this a list page is it a show page is mm-hmm. it a create page mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's um or I guess a, a new page the create is an action or whatever anyway <laughs> but like it, that's the like I find that language so valuable mm-hmm. and I know that pages are more complicated than that now but. There's something very helpful about thinking about your application views in the language of REST, mm-hmm. which kind of gets, like I said, it gets dissolved a little bit. It gets squishy when you don't actually have a REST backend. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's still helpful in, like, as an isolated concept. Yeah, I think that's super interesting uh, as a general take. And I think that goes a little bit into something I've been thinking about with serverless lately, where it's basically um, you ship a GraphQL endpoint or something like that, and that talks to whatever, your, your Dynamo or something like that. Uh, and th- that works when it's small, just like Rails works just fine when it's small. Yep. Uh, and then as you sort of scale up and you start building out these very big schemas and stuff like that, uh, that seems to work against the general recommendations of what you do when you want a Lambda to be fast. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, sure. It, yep, it yep. starts getting bigger. It starts having more code. It starts having more requires. It uses more memory, etc. Right. So I am very curious as to uh, if that will push the, because GraphQL is basically a JavaScript thing. Right. Like there are other language implementations, but the primary Mm -hmm. one is in JavaScript. And I would say the vast majority of people use the JavaScript implementations from Apollo or whatnot, because that's where all the VC money is, even. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, but I'm curious to see if that pushes us towards uh, either uh, something like what Next is sort of pushing for, right? Where like, okay, maybe GraphQL isn't necessarily the thing, right? Maybe we go back to the Rails way of just saying like, you have a function, it's basically an RPC call. We find some naming that works and then you just start shipping very small functions and a lot of them. And then you have very small, very fast functions for single purpose stuff, right? Uh, and that's really nice because then you can just delete one when you're done with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel like a Rails type of structure would be helpful in guiding how those things like work or, or like like how you would structure those um, those lambdas? It's interesting because like serverless framework does this a little bit. Um, it doesn't quite do it to the point of like mapping it through to the front end, right? Mm-hmm. And there are starting to be like emerging meta frameworks uh, like Redwood and whatnot, that are trying to take some of this and do it. Um, but they're also built on Webpack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything's on Webpack. Super valuable project. Very appreciative of all those maintainers. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it it, it brought us so far, and it's not, it, like, it's still extremely valuable. Like, so much of the web is built on it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean, like, we shouldn't, like, look up <laughs> and be like, what else is going on? <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm so... With Toast, I'm sort of thinking about this. And uh, we haven't figured out where that's going to go yet. Yeah. Uh, because I focused more on the pre-rendering and if it'll even work with all the ES module stuff, etc. But there is an aspect of that that connects it to serverless. And I think that in the end, when you think about Jamstack and you think about serverless, they're basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're an operationalized way of building and distributing your applications, right? They're not a specific stack. They're not a specific whether it has servers or not. I think they're both terms that basically mean uh, this is how we build and develop and deploy stuff, right? Yeah. So I think that there is going to be a merging of the Jamstack and the serverless sort of like patterns of thought and things like that. Sure. Uh, and I'm really excited to see sort of where that goes and to figure out what the best solution there is in the end. Um, but yeah, it's something that I'm I'm starting to put a lot of thought into because uh, I think that with Toast and like being ES modules first and stuff like that, it has to have some kind of serverless backend. Sure. Because yeah. I think that's the future. I think that I think yeah. that the functions are the future for anybody working with serverless technology because you don't really want to run Docker, right? The people running Jamstack are not running Docker. Mm. And the people running Docker uh are either running or don't want to run Kubernetes, right? Sure. So sure. I think there's a lot of complexity in that ecosystem that's going to sort of get pulled into cloud providers. And we're already seeing a, mat- a maturation of serverless in general with AWS leading the way. Yep. Um, but I think that over the next year, you'll see everybody else ship serverless, whatever. Uh, sure. I don't sure. know generally, but like, <laughs> I think that the I think that you'll see everybody that doesn't currently have a serverless offering suddenly pop up with a serverless offering. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really interesting. I, I'm curious to get your take on this because I'm 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 very far removed from being actively in serverless um, in the serverless world. Um, but 
it it feels to me like there was this big move um, like towards virtualization, right? And so it's a, basically you had hardware in the cloud, right? Like, so you yep. took what you were doing and then you moved that into the cloud, right? And so that's where, you know, Docker really shined and then like, you know, Kubernetes did, uh, I don't know, tie it all together and make it happen, <laughs> orchestrate it. I, I don't know. I'm saying stupid things now. Um, I mean, I have a video if you need to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We'll link that for sure, and I'm gonna watch it. I'll be like, "Oh man, that was dumb. Can I cut that out retroactively?" Um, so then, um, but then serverless kind of like leapfrogged it. But at the same time, there's when you do serverless, at least right now, it feels like you're kind of beholden to your serverless provider, right? Like you're using AWS as your platform, or you're mm-hmm. using uh, you know Cloudflare as your platform. Azure, like these become your platform in the same way that like Rails or Webpack or whatever are your platform for building code. Is that kind yep. of like a safe understanding of it? Yeah, I, w- I would say that that's, yeah, for sure. Now, how does that, like, how does that impact like, uh, like availability, right? Because if you, like, if you just have a, a, a box on someone else's, like on, you know, Amazon's cloud, mm-hmm. like you can still have that box on Azure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like a big deal. But like, how does this all work? Like if you want to do serverless, but you kind of want to protect yourself against, you know, just being on one platform. Like, is that a thing or is it not a thing? Like you just opt out. So the concern here is lock-in to a particular vendor? Kind of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually have uh, gotten this question quite a bit. uh, And my opinion is that you're already locked in somewhere uh, because of your data. Right. It's not necessarily because of the functions and the compute. It's because of the data. Because once you have any significant amount of data, that becomes extremely hard to move anywhere. Huh. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you have a database and yeah, okay, when you start out, you're like concerned about kilobytes and maybe you're concerned about megabytes and whatnot. And then <laughs> like you start having terabytes of data. Yeah. And then you start having hundreds of terabytes of data. <laughs> like, what are you going to do with hundreds of terabytes of data to move from Amazon to Azure, right? That's a huge effort. You are locked yeah. in. And it's not yeah. because you used, like, whatever database. Because if you use Postgres on AWS, you can still move that to Azure or you can move that to GCP if you're running Postgres yourself. You still have to move that data. You're still locked yeah. into that. And it's still yeah. a giant maintenance burden and operational cost. And like, I just don't think that uh, the functions are the thing keeping you on AWS. Yeah, because like at some point you have like a literal truckload of data. Right. Like literally, it's like, like AWS yeah. has a service that will ship you a truckload of data <laughs> because it's faster than putting it over the internet. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I love that. It's like everything's like everything's cloud and it's light and fluffy until you actually have to like see that data and you're like, right. oh shit, yeah, that's a, that's that a lot. 18, how do we protect 18 wheelers worth of SSDs? <laughs> <laughs> Like I don't even know the answer to that question. What if you had a bug? So, what do you do? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so in some ways, it's kind of like uh, almost like an admission of guilt, right? You're like, yeah. well, actually, we're already logged in, so whatever. We're just going to build a couple cloud functions to 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 access it. Yeah, I think there's there's one other thing that I didn't say that I I would like to say, and that's uh, if you are not locked in on some level, then you are not using the competitive advantage features of the thing that you're using, right? Interesting. If you use an ORM and you plan to move from Postgres to MySQL or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, then you are using the generalized subset of features that 
Postgres and MySQL and whatever else you might move to yep. all have. Yeah. Which means that you are not using any of the interesting features that could make you do things that are better than what your competitors are doing. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like on some level you want to be locked in because you are using things that are giving your business a competitive advantage. Sure. And I'd think that moving compute from one provider to another is really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, right? Mm. Like I can move from Netlify functions to Lambda trivially. They both use Lambda under the hood. Um, so, they, so they both use the same function signature. It's a little harder to move from like GCP and Lambda and whatnot, but it's still compute. Right, the compute yeah. isn't the hard part. Yep, yep. That's fascinating. I, th- th- this is this is a good take. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm learning things Thank right you. now. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate when people call my takes good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it's hot and good. It's a hot and good take. <laughs> it's a warm cup of coffee take. Um. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. All right. All right. I'm I, like I'm 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 on board with this. Like I I, I like that notion, and I have always uh, I kind of in the same way that. There's something to be said for like intellectual honesty about whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And I think that it's it, it's super important to like you said not like not pat yourself on the back because like you're using the ORM and you are like a, a platform agnostic mm-hmm. or like database agnostic. Yep. Um when you're stuck, like your data is literally stuck at one place. Yep. It's like it's kind of like, well, like yeah, you like you got this part of it like totally locked down, but like as a whole, like you're not actually doing it. You haven't done anything. Like you, you just have a fake victory. <laughs> and you actually haven't won that battle at all, actually. Because if you move from Postgres to MySQL, they operate differently, <laughs> which means that the same query will do a different thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We've seen that like going from just like kind of like raw, like MySQL instances to uh, DynamoDB. Yep. And it's like all of a sudden it's just like the database falls over. Like, <laughs> it worked before. Like, is it, isn't it just the same thing? I thought it was the same thing. Yeah. Like if, if you go from MySQL to RDS or something like that, totally different. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh man! Well, hey, we're uh, we're closing in on an hour, and like we didn't even get to uh, get to, get to some of the content stuff. So maybe we'll have to do it another time. But I want to at least cover it a little bit. Um, right now, we're in like a crazy time in the world. Like it's just it just like total yeah total mayhem. And uh, but also like yeah, it's wild. Like the the, <laughs> the markets are crashing. Like we everyone's staying inside because we got this like virus thing going on. And um, we don't usually talk like current events, but I feel like you have a passion for inspiring people to produce good content and just sharing what they know. And I know for me, I was the benefactor, you know, 10 years ago when I, you know, my career got swallowed up of people who were sharing what they knew. And I feel like right now is like such an important time for people to to who know things, who feel stable in their career, to share a path forward um, for people who might be considering a career change or or whatever. And so I'd like to just get your thoughts on that um, to, you know, this section being to all the content creators out there who are kind of like wondering, like, you know, what to do or aspiring content creators. Yeah, I think that um, especially in a downturn, uh, there's sort of no better investment than uh, being very public about what you know and what you're learning and how you're doing it and things like that, right? For my own perspective, uh, part of the thing that keeps the rest of my brain full with all the current events going on right now, so it so like puts out 
like pushes out the stuff that I really don't really want to think about right now <laughs> is or things that you have no control over or right, little th- control things over. that yeah. I can't really do uh, things that I can't really affect. Um, I'm like I'm staying home, right? It's not like stay the fuck home. Hashtag <laughs> like I'm doing that, and there's not a lot more that I can do in the grand scheme of things. Uh, yeah. So I'm filling my brain with sort of like problems that are big but solvable. So. For example, I just created an egghead collection over the last couple of days. Um, the first few days of doing that were extremely unproductive because of all this background sort of radiation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then suddenly one day it clicked and I just recorded all of the videos, basically. Um, I gotten one video done in a couple of days and then I got nine done yesterday. And I think that that's uh, important from both my perspective and like keeping my mentality uh, in a place that is amenable to me doing my life. Um, but also in like, there are people out there, uh, who might've just lost their job, might've just been laid off, might be in a really hard spot. Um, and they might need to know something that I know to get a new job. Right. Mm -hmm. And the more that I share openly and freely and stuff like that, uh, especially when people are in hard scenarios, uh, the more I can help them without needing them to give me thousands of dollars. Right. Because like I can help people who have uh, like VC funding, right? That is not a problem. They have money; they can pay me. Yep. Uh, and I can use my years and years of expertise in particular areas to get things done for them and increase their next round raise millions and millions of dollars. Right? Not a problem. But there's people who don't have that money. There's people who need uh, resources and to learn things. And I think that it's really important to. Uh, put that content out there. And that's why sort of like my egghead videos have always been free. Even when you could lock them down, I made them all free all the time because I think that the people who can pay will pay um, to support the things that they enjoy and find valuable. And the people who can't need access. Yeah. So... I love that. I love that. So, so egghead is a, is a great platform for that. Where are some other, um, you know, I I know that it's not... um, right now accessible to everyone who might want to create uh, content for Egghead. Um, what are some like other platforms that would be good for people who are just getting started into content creation um, that mm-hmm. are fully open and they can kind of like get their content creation uh, legs under them? So you can do it on uh, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, you can put it on Vimeo. Uh, the big thing is to continue. You can do it on your own personal site, right? Yeah. So like if you put videos on uh, YouTube, and you opt into their algorithm, you have to sort of ship a 10-minute video once a week for the rest of your life, right? (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like it's important to call that out because you don't have to do that uh, if you can build your own personal domain and your personal site and your Twitter Mm. following and whatnot, right? Like, there are a lot of different platforms. There are a lot of different ways that the algorithm can affect you on each of these different platforms. Sure. Um, the important thing is to find something that you enjoy doing or find interesting because you need to keep doing it and you need to keep doing it for the next like three years. Yeah. Right. And like, I just, I sort of just did the numbers uh, like a couple days ago and like you can do, um, if you do one a day, whatever it is, whatever length it is, uh, you can hit a thousand in three years. And that, my question posed on Twitter was sort of like, what can that do? Like, what can you do in a thousand posts? <laughs> right. Cause three years is a manageable yeah. amount of time. Yeah. Like, 10,000 is 30 years. That's not unthinkable, right? Like 100, you can do 100 in a year and that's a good start. Um, but what can you do with 300 and how do you think about that? And like, just just start shipping it. Uh, it doesn't matter where you ship it, 
right? You can do it on Twitter. You can do video on Twitter. You can do tweets on Twitter. You can do these, like the people who did refactoring UI and whatnot. The reason that they have such large sales is because they did a whole year of dev tips and sign tips yeah. on Twitter <laughs> leading yeah, up yeah, to yeah. that, right? Yeah. Like, like that's like, I think that with, um, with creation of different types of content, the thing that a lot of people who are just starting out miss is that it's not about the particular piece of content. You're, you're helping people and building a trust relationship with an incredibly large niche, right? Yeah. And at some point in the future, after you've solved all of these people's problems with all of the things that you've produced, you have a point at which there's an audience looking to you that trusts you. And you can say, I've solved all of your problems in the past for free. Here's a bunch of cool stuff. <laughs> and now I have a paid thing that also yeah. solves more of your problems in a better way, right? I've researched, I've listened to you for the last year or two. And here's the thing. This thing is useful. If you can buy it, buy it. If not, then you don't need to buy it. And Or like, if you can't afford it, let me know and I'll give it to you, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the thing that most early early stage creators uh, miss is that the end point isn't I ship the blog post. The end point is I've developed a trust relationship from giving people actionable advice for years. Yeah. And now when I need to do something and make some money and try to do this for my living, I can because they trust me and I've produced enough good content to help them over a long period of time. That's interesting. I, like, I'm reminded of a couple of things, like while you were saying that, like, I know Joel talks about this. Um, he has a video that he likes to link to about being like a fiduciary. Yeah, uh, I remember people. that video. Like, <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably have to link it here. Um, but the, uh, the idea that you are working in trust, right? Yep. Like, you're not really a, like a content creator. Like, you are someone who is uh, like delivering uh information in like some kind of like exchange of trust and like yep. that's the thing that you're really really working toward and then actually it's funny that you mentioned um uh refactoring ui because i actually just this week had a call with uh, adam wathen <laughs> and uh he was he was talking about how he sees that initial phase is like compressing a spring mm -hmm. right and yep. and the longer that you can go like just kind of pushing this thing down and compressing it and compressing it like the bigger that that payoff's going to be yep. in the end and it's it, like it's hard i think cuz like especially mm -hmm. in a time like now like people who are like thinking about like career changing or whatever it's like you need to get up and running as fast as possible. <laughs> yep. And so like, you know, you don't necessarily have the, um, the gift of, of time, at least not in this season of it. But if you're in the content creation side of it, there's no better time than now to be giving, giving things that you know away for free and building up that trust with um, people who are um, looking, you know, actively looking for it, maybe for the first time. I mean, we, we've been seeing some amazing uh, numbers like uh, people like Free Code Camp, like sharing mm -hmm. their numbers of how, yep. you know, in the last two weeks, how many more people are searching their resources uh, than they were, you know, a month ago. And, and you know, people are desperate for this content. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, now is a really good time to just start putting it out. Like whatever it takes to get like, you know, five paragraphs out on a topic, yep. like a couple times a week, do it. Yeah, I think that um, Amy Hoy phrased this really, really well recently. And it's... Uh, you want to be an investment in a downturn, not a cost. And things like Free Code Camp are an investment, right? Yeah. The content you put out and the writing and all the things that you teach are an investment for people. And that's where you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, I know that you have a Discord server and I wanted to point people to that because I feel like this is like this is where you can like regularly get these nuggets and inspiration <laughs> to like just to just do it. Um so tell uh tell me about that. Tell people um you know if they're looking for a swift kick in the pants. Um <laughs> How do they get connected to you? Uh, yeah, so in my Twitter profile, at uh, Chris Biscardi, you will find a link to a Discord server. And that Discord server is the one being talked about. It is the Party Cordigy Network Discord server. Um, and in it, we have a number of different channels. Uh, we have things that we are primarily focused on, like content creation and uh, moving from like being an employee to selling your time for money to selling products for money, which are investments again, um, all the way to like baking and cooking. Uh, and we, awesome. uh, <laughs> over the course of sort of like the last week or two, we've been doing a lot of voice chat hangouts. So if this comes out and we are still in quarantine, uh, we are probably still doing those voice chats. So if you are looking <laughs> cool. for uh, people, <laughs> even if you just want to hang out and hear other people's voices, you're welcome to come in. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Um, now we're, we're out of time and I want to respect <laughs> that, but I'm going to leave a little like next time we hang out. I'm going to ask you the origin of Party Corgi. Sounds great. <laughs> hey, thanks for your time today, Chris. I really appreciate you and uh, your openness to to publicizing this this kind of private DM conversation that we were having. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, hopefully, we'll do it again soon. This has been episode 87 of React Podcast with Chris Biscardi. Find the people and projects mentioned in this episode at reactpodcast.com slash 87. Thanks to our sponsor, Infinite Red. If you're hopelessly stuck in a React or React Native project, tap Infinite Red for help. They'll teach you your way out of whatever problems you face. Visit reactpodcast.infinite.red to start a new project today and get two tickets to Chain React Conf in 2021. If you like this show, there's a fast, free way to demonstrate your support. Leave us a review on iTunes. It's the best way for you to let me know what you think we're doing right and what we can improve. Two to three minutes of your time helps us make the best show we possibly can. As always, links and show notes for all episodes are available at reactpodcast.com. This episode was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson at Spec, a network to help you level up in design and development. Check out spec.fm for other shows that are sure to fast track your career. I'm your friend, Chantastic. Thanks for listening. We'll be in your ears again next week. Mm-hmm.